Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. All right, this is take 12. This is the 12th time I've tried to do this intro. You would think I'd be better at this by now, but I'm just not. I get nervous. I stutter. I get, I get all over the place, but this is the one that we're sticking with. I've said that actually like the last three takes, like this is the one and it wasn't the one, but this really is the one. Hi, everybody. This is the bad broadcast. <laughs> My name is Maddie and I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, can't wait to get into this episode. I have been wanting to do this topic for so long. And now the documentary came out. We can just dive on in. This is going to be all about the LuLaRoe documentary called Lula Rich. When I started my Patreon, I don't have it anymore, but when it was still going, this was my very first episode. I did a deep dive into LuLaRoe. I just am fascinated by it. And you guys will probably be too. So hopefully you've seen it. If you haven't, still stick around because it's a good time and we're going to learn a lot together. But before we get into Lula Rich, let's do our love hates for the week. So my first love was the Met Gala. I love the Met Gala. That and the Oscars are my Super Bowl. I love them so much. My personal best dressed at the Met Gala, Quanna Chasing Horse. If you haven't seen her look, please look it up. She is an indigenous woman, I believe from Canada and South Dakota and Alaska. I'm pretty sure. I might be wrong on that, but she looked gorgeous. I thought it, I mean, it's literally the, the most on theme of any possible look she could have done. And I just thought it was very cool to have native representation at the Met Gala. Really liked her and she's gorgeous. Second thing I loved this week, I shouldn't even say this because last time I recommended something at Trader Joe's, I was, I can't buy it anymore. It's never, it's never in stock, but you know, that's the life of a burrito influencer. But now my next uh, <laughs> my next recommendation is not burritos. It's called Hotuk. It is the Korean cinnamon pancakes. So they're like a rice dough pancake vibe with a cinnamon sugar filling. And they are like, they have the texture of like the best chewiest donut. And they are the most incredible fall treat. They're in the frozen section. I shouldn't even be telling you guys this. You guys were going to find them anyways. It's not like none of you go to Trader Joe's. I know. I know that's where we spend all of our free time, but they're so good. We've gone through like three packs this week. They only come with four. I wish they came with 35, but they are delicious. And I just had to let you guys know the beige food of the week. All right. My last love. Oh, I forgot I put this on here. This is this. I would thought, I think I put this on as a joke and now here it is on my outline. So I'm just going to tell you guys, I watched Magic Mike. It's my favorite movie. It might be. Mainly for the plot. I just love I just love the storyline. I'm just kidding. But it was seriously, it was so fun and so funny to watch. Me and Matt watched it together and we were dying the whole time. And I loved it. I loved it. I recommend it. I recommend it for your next date night. It's old. I don't think I realized how old it is. It's from 2012, but it has like an amazing cast. All right. I know none of us are watching Magic Mike for its cinematic qualities, but I just thought I'd put that out there. I did watch it and I loved it. Okay. Now for my hates, let's get through these and then get into Lula Rich. So my first hate of the week, don't mean to get political, but how about 
gas prices these days. I don't even know what controls gas prices. I wish I wish I did. Don't know don't know who to blame, but I'm mad at somebody because I drive like a small car and it's like $85. Okay, that's dramatic. But it is like 65 to fill it up. That's a lot of dollars. Anyways, hate that. Hate that for us. The second thing that I hated this week. Oh, I included my least favorite Met Gala look. I'm sure she's a lovely person, but I hated Madison Beer's look. It was prom dress. It was giving halter top 2009. Didn't like it. That was my, that was my second hate. I really don't know that much about her. I know that people, I feel like, I feel like I hear mixed reviews. I hear mixed reviews about Madison Beer, but her Met Gala look just did not do it for me. A lot of people were mad about influencers being at the Met Gala. And I don't know. I feel like it's fine. I mean, they want to keep like young people interested in the Met Gala. They're going to have to get young, newer celebrities. Like people who are 14 right now don't care about Sarah Jessica Parker. Like they just don't. They care about Addison Rae. So I get it. I thought it was fine. I mean, they're famous. They're more famous than most people at the Met Gala. So I say do it. All right. And uh, the last thing I hated this week, this was a this was a weird thing. This was a weird thing. And I know by the time you guys hear this, this will be like a week and a half ago. But when I'm recording, it just happened a couple of days ago. So when people use like commemorating 9-11 or like posting about it as a reason to post a thirst trap, I can't even tell you how many people I saw in like either American flag, like bikinis or underwear or whatever. And then like a quote about 9-11. I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't, it's not sitting well with me. It's not, it's not, it's not exactly what I think the point of remembering 9-11 should be about. Um, I see a lot of like weird edits, like just selfies. And then they have like a filter on it with like the Twin Towers. It's very weird. It's very, very weird. And I hate it. Hate it. Did not like. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by ShipStation. All right, you guys, the holidays are coming up. I know, none of us want to think about it, but they are. And if you are selling anything online, it is time to prepare for the busiest season of the year. You're growing your business, you're managing inventory, you're juggling orders, you have a lot going on, and shipping can be the easiest part of your process with ShipStation. Most of you will remember that when I started this podcast, I started doing merch, all on my own. I was ordering the clothes. I was taking them to the screen printer and I was shipping them from just the floor of my bedroom. And the reason I was able to do that is because of ShipStation. I have used them for over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Over a year. And it has been so easy. I promise if I can figure it out, anybody can figure it out because I had never shipped basically anything in my life. It's also a really frustrating part of business is figuring out a way to ship your orders, the best way to do it, the quickest way to do it, the cheapest way to do it. And ShipStation makes it so convenient. You can easily import orders. You can automate so much. Like I have it all set up on my ship station that I have presets. So if somebody orders one sweatshirt, I just select it from a drop down menu and print the label, comes out, stick it on, take it to the post office. It is so great. Over a hundred thousand sellers use ShipStation in their business and it works with all of the major carriers and gives you exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS shipping. So you can compare carriers and choose the best solution for you and your customers. With ShipStation, small businesses can now access the same rates usually reserved for Fortune 500 companies without the contracts or commitments. So it's never too early to start preparing for your holiday rush. Maybe you're just sending gifts to family or maybe you're running your own e-commerce website, but you can get a head start with ShipStation. My listeners can use my offer code BAD, B-A-D, to get a 60-day free trial just in time for the holidays. That is two months of stress-free holiday shipping for free. Just go to ShipStation.com, click the microphone at the top, and enter BAD. Remember, that's ShipStation, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Make ship happen. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday.
We zipped through those, I know, but it's because I have so much to say about Lula Rich. And I just want to get into it. And I just want to talk to you guys about it because I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages of notes. I don't think I've taken eight pages of notes on anything ever at any point in my college career, which granted, I didn't give my best effort, but I still was not taking notes like that. Before we start talking about LuLaRoe, this, I want to say this because I feel, I feel like my opinions have changed a lot about a lot of things in the last year, and I'm trying to not be so absolute about things. So this episode about LuLaRoe is not about MLMs in general. It's not about how MLMs are bad. I think that that is really naive to say that because it's obviously not true. Anything that's absolute like that or extreme on one side is is probably just not true. So I'm not saying that all MLMs are bad. I'm they're not even illegal. Having running an MLM, working for an MLM, that's all legal. It's all normal. It works for a lot of people. I know people that work for MLMs that have a great success. Whatever. This is about LuLaRoe specifically. Okay, just I want to make sure that that is said before we begin because I don't want anything to like get twisted like something I say about LuLaRoe say, you know, have people say that that's what I think about other MLMs. It's not, this is about LuLaRoe. So with that disclaimer in place, let's get into Rich. It is streaming on Amazon Prime. Don't know if I said that, but if you haven't watched it, it's a great watch. It's four episodes and each episode is like 40 minutes long. So it's not a super long binge, but it's a good one. So the first words that we hear on screen, or it's, they're not on screen, but it's the first like dialogue that we hear of the episode is from Deanne, who is the owner of LuLaRoe and her husband, Mark. That's who the documentary kind of is about. Um, But they're off screen, but we hear on their mic, we hear Deanne go, I am just so happy that you are the man that knows all the stuff. So she's like saying that to her husband off camera. And it just is the perfect opening line because it just sets the tone for basically the entire framework of LuLaRoe. So... (laughs) If anybody has seen has seen Dance Moms, I feel like Deanne is Kathy from the Candy Apples. In fact, Kathy from Candy Apples has nothing on Deanne, okay? She has like the extreme close-ups on her Facebook videos. Like, you know, when women over 60 like film really close to their face, and they've got like the bottom eyeliner and the overly lined lips. You know what I mean? It is so classic like Facebook great aunt energy. So they start talking, Mark and Deanne, they start talking about kind of the origin of LuLaRoe. And I got some responses from you guys because there's a lot of people here in Utah that have sold LuLaRoe or know somebody that sells LuLaRoe. And I got a lot of feedback of people that were like, you know, they, Mark and Deanne didn't know that this was going to be skewed in a negative way. Like they went in to do this interview thinking that it was an honest documentary about LuLaRoe and I feel really bad for them. That was a a sentiment I got a few times that people felt really bad for them. It was edited weird. They're trying to make them look bad, blah, blah, blah. I get that. I get that the editing isn't very flattering with them. But some things that they say, you couldn't even edit them to make them sound any worse. I mean, they are sentences that are physically coming out of these people's mouths that are not edited. So whatever. That's neither here nor there. We'll get into that in a minute. But just I I don't think that they are as innocent as maybe some people think. I, I get it. They are maybe great people. They've done great things. I'm not saying that they're all bad because we, you know, we just went over this saying something is all something is not correct. But I just, I don't know. Seems like they they got into some nefarious things. You know, the word nefarious never was in my vocabulary. And then I started a podcast and now I say it all the time. I've probably said it in every episode in the last like six weeks. I'm sure you guys have noticed. But anyway, so Mark and Deanne are getting into kind of the origins of LuLaRoe. And they say that their main thing is that they like selling opportunities. You know, they like they like selling the opportunity to make money. That's what they're that's what they're doing. And they end their intro by saying, we are storytellers. That's how the business grew. And from that moment forward, I knew, I knew we were in for a treat because if anybody tells you that their business started by telling stories, run the other way. So now we're going to get into Deanne's background. So Deanne was raising seven kids 
She had three of them that were adopted and they were super poor. Uh, She got on a plane. She got sat next to Mark. That's how they met. They fell in love, got married. Mark brought four kids to the marriage. So they've got 11 kids total. Then they adopted three more. And then we learn something I cannot believe was so glossed over. But one girl from their, their last adoption, so in that group of three, a girl from that adoption and their biological son got married. And they were like, yeah, so that worked out really nicely. What? What? No, I, I disagree wholeheartedly that that worked out nicely. I, I understand. They don't share any blood relation. But the fact that two of your children got married, we did not spend nearly enough time talking about that. The fact that there is a married couple out there, that they, when they say mom and dad, they're talking about the same people. It's upsetting. It's upsetting. And it's just, of course, of course, these two people had two of their kids get married. Why, why does that surprise anybody? And I just want to say, if Jennifer Coolidge doesn't play Deanne in an eventual biopic about LuLaRoe, I will burn this place to the ground. It doesn't go into it a lot, but it does acknowledge that they are members of the LDS church. So we learned that about them. And then we learned that Deanne uh, has a twin sister named Diane. Yep. Deanne and Diane are twin sisters. And they're the youngest of 10. We then learn about Mark's background. And he was raised very middle class, kind of, you know, middle of the road, whatever. And he says, I thought this sentence was so funny. He says, you know, it just wasn't like me to get a job or work for somebody. That was never in the cards. I, I never saw myself working for somebody. Yeah, Mark, it's because you are an upper middle class white guy. That is why it's never come into your mind that you need to work for somebody. Because where we live, you're typically in charge of stuff. Okay. And then Mark tells us a story about how his dad turned down a job because he would rather be broke than work for somebody else. And Mark gets emotional for some reason. We don't really know. So let's fast forward a little bit. Mark and Deanne are married. They've got 175 kids, two of which are married. And Deanne starts doing dress parties. She goes to a swap meet. She meets a guy who's selling like little girls dresses. And she starts hosting these parties at her house. I think I probably talked about this on the Patreon episode, but um, it's like, do you guys remember going to those jean parties? We always did like denim parties. Those are always the ones that I I went to. My mom went to like Tupperware parties. They've, they've been around forever. So Deanne starts doing dress parties. And then her daughter one day asked her for a maxi skirt. Deanne makes her a maxi skirt, puts it online. Everybody's commenting and freaking out. And then the business starts picking up and she starts doing only maxi skirts. I want to add here that I think this is a pretty cool origin story. It started in a very honest way. She was making them. She was selling them. I mean, based on the information that I have, that's how I feel. Maybe there were some shady beginnings, but she was like just sewing maxi skirts in her house and selling them online and doing these parties. And it seems like it seems like a cool, a cool start. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. So when Deanne's business really started taking off, that's when Mark stepped in to help her with production. And again, the dynamic between the two when they're talking on screen, it just is the best setup for how the whole thing goes. Because Mark says to her on screen, we see him say this, he goes, I don't know if I was invited in, but I just kind of pushed my way in. Yep. That, you know, Mark, that surprises nobody. That surprises nobody watching. So when they started getting their production going is when they started hiring retailers. They started selling things wholesale for them to sell at retail. And that is when they stepped into their role as an MLM or as most people call it, or not most people, but it's also known as direct sales. They they say that a lot in the documentary, probably because MLM does have a really negative com- connotation now. And I don't think it's totally fair. I mean, I, I, I don't think that they're for me, but when people say that all MLMs are shady or illegal or whatever, it's just not true. So at this point in the documentary, we get introduced to the sellers. Ashley, who you guys will remember, wore that American flag dress. If you've seen the documentary, you really can't forget that American flag dress. It's in my it's in my brain forever. She was their third retailer ever. And she met with Deanne and Deanne was helping her. And Deanne was helping her how to like throw these parties. Deanne made a point to say, don't ever have refreshments at your at your parties because everybody's always on a diet. If I had to go to a LuLaRoe party and I didn't even get a mint brownie, oh my gosh. I would have filed my own lawsuit against LuLaRoe. I, I don't dare do anything without a refreshment. A lot of the people throughout the documentary talk about how they first heard about LuLaRoe. And it's always 
I heard about it through a girl who went to my high school. It's so general, yet so specific. If I were to say the the quality, yeah, it's, you know, the girl who went to my high school who sells LuLaRoe, like you would know exactly the type of person I was talking about. Anyway, so the girl you went to high school with who starts selling an MLM starts advertising LuLaRoe, which is how so many people started seeing it. It got really, really popular on social media, especially like the Facebook crowd, like the Gen X stay-at-home mom Facebook crowd. And they were selling it as an unlimited income opportunity. And people liked it because it basically felt like you were owning your own store in your home. You bought all the inventory, you could set it up in your house, and then you have all these parties, people come into your home, they buy stuff. It was it was like owning your own business. So that that opportunity felt really exciting to a lot of people, which absolutely makes sense. Anybody who says that doesn't sound amazing is lying to themselves. I think it sounds great. And it makes sense why so many people wanted to join. Uh, something I thought was interesting about LuLaRoe, and this ends up being something really negative in the future, but people love that there's all this variety and all these patterns and not everybody, not every retailer or seller has the same leggings or skirts or whatever it was. So then people could shop at multiple retailers. So then if your neighbor starts doing LuLaRoe, it's not like, oh, we have the exact same thing in your competition. I liked that it had this communal feeling. And it, and again, it makes sense why so many people wanted to join it. It unfortunately is where it becomes really predatory because then it becomes about recruiting people. And there's all of these different reasons why it makes sense to have so many people in your area doing it. And it's specifically focused on young moms, struggling moms, moms of lower socioeconomic statuses, moms of color, women of color. There's there's all of these marginalized people who were kind of prey for this company. So it cuts back to Mark and he is talking about, you know, how the how young moms are working in with LuLaRoe and how it benefits them. And this is where I have some some real thoughts about Mark. Okay. So he's talking about how when women choose to be mothers, the way it is in our country, if you choose motherhood, you sacrifice your career. That's what he says. At first blush, it sounds like a feminist viewpoint. Like, yeah, it is harder to be a working mom in our country. But he's failing to realize that, one, it's harder to be a working mother because of lack of maternity leave, lack of childcare, the wage gap, or the fact that we live in a completely patriarchal society. And it's also because people like Mark weaponize motherhood to manipulate and gaslight and allow women to take less than they deserve. And that makes me mad. If he thinks that women are so passionate and beautiful and wonderful and smart and amazing, then why do you have to coerce them into your company? Why do they have to pay you in order to have a chance? That's not, that's not what you do when you believe in people. That's what you do when you want to take advantage of people. When you require that people spend a certain amount of money in order to be hired by you, that is predatory. Another, in my opinion, indefensible part of LuLaRoe is that once they grew to a certain point, they hired their entire family. And you know, they have like 30 kids who were all married, who all have probably 30 kids of their own. And they take up all upper management. Every single member of their family works for them. So then we meet Sam Schultz. Sam Schultz... (laughs) Sam Schultz is Deanne's nephew. And if you are from the West, like Utah, Idaho, maybe Arizona, I know a lot of us are there. Um, You guys will remember Sammy's, which was a restaurant owned by Sam Schultz, where I'm pretty sure he just stopped paying his employees and left. I am like 90% sure that's what happened. And he described himself as like a showman. And he got hired as the events director. And Sam basically seems like a giant douche. Uh, his hair is crunchy. He probably has bedazzled jeans on. He's just not my flavor at all. But we end the first episode by meeting Sam. And he talks about how he got hired on as this events director. And all of a sudden, LuLaRoe had grown by $70 million. Now let's get into episode two. Episode two gets into their home office staff. We first meet Lachey. Lachey worked at their home office. And she's the one who walked in with a Chanel and somebody stopped her and made her go change her Chanel into LuLaRoe. It's just so perfect. It's such a perfect metaphor for LuLaRoe. Made her take off her Chanel. 
to get a LuLaRoe bag. Uh, we meet, meet Ileana, who is a designer. We meet Daryl, who is probably my favorite person in the entire documentary. Uh, he previously worked at Steve Madden and refed high school volleyball. And then he ended up with LuLaRoe. So 85 to 90% of top management at their home office was their family. And unfortunately, but obviously, nobody knew how to run a company of this size. Like none of them were trained in it. And it's so interesting to me because they had so much money. They could have hired anybody to come in for a week and train their family or train an accountant or teach literally anybody how to use Excel. Like like Sam Schultz is talking about how the guy they hired to do like all their spreadsheets did not know how to use Excel. I mean, I shouldn't be laughing at that because I also don't know how to use Excel, but I'm also not running a $70 million company. So they've got their entire family running it and it is growing at an exponential rate because Mark and Deanne wanted people to be onboarded onto LuLaRoe all the time. So basically what that means when you're onboarded is that you're like initiated, you become a member of, you know, they call it the LuLaRoe family, and then you have to place your first order. So you have to place uh, an initial package order. I think it's between like five and $10,000. And in order to stay active as a LuLaRoe seller, you had to buy a certain amount of product every month. So you, whether or not you sold any, you had to buy it. The main goal for retailers was to get people to sign up for LuLaRoe underneath them because every time they placed an order, the person who signed them up would get a bonus. So it wasn't based on how much you were selling. It was based on how many people you get to sign up underneath you, which is when it gets messy and when people start calling it a pyramid scheme. So then we meet Stella, who is a former retailer. We meet Tiffany and Paul who started in May of 2016. Like, this is crazy. Like, this was only five years ago. It seems like maybe this would only happen in, like, the 80s or 90s. But, like, Donald Trump was president when all of this was happening. Like, it was not that long ago. So we're meeting all of these retailers, and they're talking about how the exclusivity of LuLaRoe is really what got people interested. That's how they even got people to sign up underneath them because it was like, you'll get all new inventory and nobody else will have it. And they make so few pieces of every, you know, every legging pattern. And there's only 3,000 of each. So we're all going to have different stuff. You're going to have just as much of a chance as everybody. And I have this exclusivity. But the problem with that, the problem with the exclusivity and the mass amounts of patterns... (laughs) And if you look up LuLaRoe, you will recognize these patterns. But there were so many of them and you could never pick the pattern. I thought that was interesting. Tiffany and Paul, who previously sold LuLaRoe, they're talking about how you just pick the size and the style. So like leggings or a shirt, but you never get to pick what the pattern looks like. So like I was saying a couple of minutes ago, there are two ways to make money. You can sell the product, but you have to continue to buy more and more and more no matter how much you're selling. Or you can make money by signing people up because every time people, they call it your downline, people who are signed up underneath you, every time they place an order, you get a bonus check. And that is where the majority of people's income was coming from. One of the girls was talking about how she made like probably $3,000 in profit one year by selling, by actually selling the clothes. But then she made like a hundred and something thousand just from her bonus checks by signing people up on her downline. So Mark goes on to explain these bonus checks, how everybody is making all this money. And Deanne stops him. This was so perfect. Deanne stops him and she goes, wait, wait, you're going to get logical. Hold on a minute. Like, hold on a minute. We're not dealing in logic here, Mark. This is not logical. Deanne wants to make sure we all know that. And Deanne says, the business was just growing too fast. I was doing all of the training and I wanted people to have a reward for spreading the good word of LuLaRoe. That's what she wanted. She wanted people to have an incentive of telling people about it. Unfortunately, it wasn't just an incentive to like mention it to your neighbor. It was a big fat check to convince somebody to spend enough money to join LuLaRoe. It was not cheap to become a LuLaRoe retailer. They talk about this in the documentary. Women were going into mass amounts of debt. They were selling their breast milk. They were doing anything they could to get the down payment for their initial buy-in to LuLaRoe. Mark wants to be very clear, though. This is multi-level management, okay? Because instead of paying people to do the jobs in your company, like being over a certain region like other companies would do, 
they're taking their customers and putting them into those positions. So basically, when you become an employee of LuLaRoe, you actually become their best customer, which is not exactly how a job should work. Okay. So not only is the setup of like the business and the money making, not only is that extremely weird, but then they start talking to these retailers about the culture of LuLaRoe. And the first thing that caught my eye, caught my ear, is how much LuLaRoe pushed on their retailers to make sure that everybody around them knew that if something good was going on in their life, it was because of LuLaRoe. One girl said that she had purchased a house and Deanne got really mad at her because she did not say in her Instagram caption that it was hashtag because of LuLaRoe. They wanted to make sure that that was what they were putting out into the world. At this point in LuLaRoe, they had so many people that wanted to be onboarded, so many people that wanted to join. So they started doing lottery drawings. They started just having to draw cards to see who got onboarded. And the excitement that these people felt about the opportunity to be a part of LuLaRoe, this this opportunity to quote unquote own your own business is just, it's so disheartening to see because you just know that you know, over what is it like 85% of these women are going to not make a dime of that back. And they don't know that because the person who onboarded them is showing them all not onboarded. The person who like recruited them is showing them, look, I made all this money, not realizing that the reason they made money is because you were signing up. Does that make sense? How I phrase that? Hopefully. So they're onboarding people. They're doing the, the infamous cruise. Every MLM has like a cruise prize. And it's just like the most perfect, the perfect prize for LuLaRoe is a cruise. It's like so creepy. It's like just a little bit off. Like everything about LuLaRoe and like the owners and the clothes, like it's just off. There's just something weird about it. It's like when you go to Vegas and you look at the Eiffel Tower that's in Vegas and you're like, there's just something weird. So in one year, they had generated $1.3 billion in wholesale orders, not in sales not in customers buying leggings, in their employees placing their wholesale orders. And the differentiation between an MLM and a pyramid scheme is an MLM is selling a product. So that's how they're getting away with it. They're saying, no, we sell a product. A pyramid scheme sells kind of an ideal or like a concept. The reason that it is considered a pyramid scheme, LuLaRoe specifically, is because they weren't making money selling a product. They were making money by signing people up. That is literally the definition of a pyramid scheme. And this is where it turns into not just an MLM, but I mean, a cult. We're just going to call it a cult because it has all the dressings of a cult. Mark basically says they had a culture at LuLaRoe that you need to align or leave. You needed to be on board 100% or you need to leave. And the retailers that they're interviewing are saying things like, no, I would have jumped off a cliff for them. I would have. There becomes sort of this hero worship of the owners. Anything that they say is correct and good. And if you disagree, you're wrong. So then not only do people need to align with the company in every possible way, they also need to look a certain way. They started getting very controlling about what they look like, what they wear. It's also 99.9% white women. It is, you know, and they're blonde and they look the same. They have the exact, like, it's, it's very eerie to see them all in a room together. So they're talking about how Deanne really valued, you know, female empowerment. That's how she wanted everybody to feel. And somebody asks her, they say, what inspired the empowering of women for you to Deanne? And Mark says, can I answer that and then let you talk? And it's so, it, oh, it just makes my blood boil. I honestly, there are a lot of parts in the documentary where I don't like Deanne at all. This is just my opinion. This is just my opinion. Just putting that stamp on that. There's a lot of parts where I don't like Deanne. And then there's a lot of parts where I'm like, oh, you are in this just like everybody else because of Mark. Like this, this is what happened because you believed in your roles so adamantly that Mark had to be in charge and you had to be the submissive one that you are just as much of a victim. I don't want to say that I think that all the time because I think she did some very shady things that hurt a lot of people. But just sometimes when you see Mark like, you know, jump in and talk over her and not let her explain, you're just like, oh my gosh, you are you are in this also. So then Mark says, the empowering women came from me being married to a powerful wife. Okay, let's let's revisit that sentence. The empowering of women came from Mark being married to a powerful wife. That doesn't, that doesn't, no, 
no, Mark, that's not how that works. You don't get to just say, I empower so many women because I'm married to a powerful wife. Then what's she doing? Let her talk. Why don't you let her talk? If she's so powerful and smart and knows everything, why don't you work for her? Why are you the president? Why are you the CEO? Why do you do everything? If you're so gung-ho about empowering women, why don't you start with the one you're married to? And that is really the mindset that trickled down throughout LuLaRoe. They reinforced very, very misogynistic ideals. And they really encouraged people to retire their husband. And they had this whole thing about how it's how you give back. You want to give back to your husband. You want to retire your husband. Not only so that then he could help you. They they wanted like families to be involved and husbands to help their wives. But they also wanted you to serve your husband more. And Deanne even says, she says, women can be strong, but there's a time to let him be your hero. Why does your husband need to be a part of your business at all? They say it like in their interviews, it's not misconstrued. It's they, they say, yeah, you, you want your husband to help you out. You want to bring him on board. You want to, you want to share the success with him. Why? Why? Have you ever heard of a man doing that? Have you ever heard of a man starting his own business and then being told by his boss, you know, you really need to let your wife, you really need to hire your wife. You need to make sure that she gets a part of this. You need to make sure that she, I mean, that'd be great if that literally ever happened, but it never has in the history of ever. And that was something that they were really focused on. Another cult-like behavior that LuLaRoe really, really goes hard on is that they really want you to rely on only LuLaRoe. They don't want you to study business. In fact, they have seminars where they encourage you not to study business, but they drape it in all these pretty words. You know, they say, you just have to believe in yourself. You have everything you need. You don't need to go out and read. You don't need to go to college. You don't need to ask people questions. Anything is possible. You just, you just have it. You have it inside of you. And controlling your intake of information is something very cult-like. Very cult-like. Something that really depresses me about just the, Lula, the entire LuLaRoe thing is how motivated and driven these women are. I mean, they wanted to own their own businesses. They wanted to make money. They wanted to better themselves and their lives. And they were completely taken advantage of. And something I think we don't take into account is that these are smart people. Like, I know that a lot of times on the outside of, of pyramid schemes, we're like, well, how dumb could you be to sign up? How did you not look into it? How did you get into it? They do. They do look into it. They do think it's a good idea because they're being told by somebody who has a perceived authority, that it is a good thing. And they have all of these people around them telling them that they are correct, that this is the right thing, that they need to do this. They're trusting their friends. They're trusting their peers. It makes sense why people get into these situations. And I think it is reductive to say, well, if you get into that, you're stupid because you're not stupid. These women are smart. And that is the scariest part of all. So let's talk about the weight loss surgery. Yep. I said weight loss surgery. If you haven't seen the documentary, I know you don't think that's going to be a part of it, but it absolutely is. So Deanne goes to Tijuana. Okay. She drives down to Tijuana to get this weight loss surgery at a clinic called Obesity Not For Me. And then she starts encouraging other people to get it. And she denies this in her interview. She says, no, people said that I did that. I didn't do that. People come to me crying, bawling, saying they hate their body. They hate themselves. And I tell them, well, I, I have a solution for you. I can take you to Tijuana. I can take you to Tijuana and get weight loss surgery, get a gastric sleeve. They were going to Tijuana to get the gastric sleeve. They were driving to Mexico to get weight loss surgery, and they were encouraging their retailers to do the same. Are you, are you getting that? And for me, there's not really a reason here that makes sense. People are like, they didn't, you know, I had, I had girls in my DMs that were like, that part was really, like, they weren't telling people that they had to get weight loss surgery. Okay, that's fine. But the fact that they were carpooling to Mexico to get weight loss surgery as a company is a little bit bizarre, don't you think? And if I ever went to my friend, like Deanne's like, my friends would come up to me and they'd say, I'm so fat, I hate my life. And she's like, I just am suggesting what they do. If I went to my friend and I said, hey, I feel really fat. And they said, you know what? Let's carpool to Tijuana and get you the gastric sleeve. If that was their solution, they're not your friend. Okay? <laughs> they're, they're just not. So, the, so people are getting more and more entrenched in this culture. They're getting more 
obsessed with Mark and Deanne. They're being idolized. There's this Lula famous thing going on. And then the quality of the product starts to take a hit. I think it's interesting that they didn't really talk about this in the documentary, just the the fast fashion of it all and how there's probably all sorts of unethical practices to get the leggings made at the rate that they are. Um, and I don't I'm I'll learn more about that. I don't know a lot about it. It just came to mind when I was when I was watching it. But anyway, the the quality of the product started to go down and people started to get moldy and stinky leggings. And they talk about this a little bit, how they didn't have room for how much inventory they needed. Because anytime somebody was onboarded, they were spending $5,000 to get a huge amount of inventory. And they were onboarding up to 500 people a day, 500 people a day. So there was no possible way that they could keep all of this inventory in one place. They were in parking lots. It was getting rained on. It was getting moldy. So not only, not only are they the most atrocious looking pieces of clothing you've ever seen. Truly. I mean, there, you know, there's, there's bad, there's ugly, and then there's LuLaRoe. So not only are they the worst, they're also stinky. They're stinky. And some of them have mold on them. You didn't think it could get worse, but then you realize that they're moldy. So cult behavior number, I don't know what number we're on, like a million. They start blaming their retailers for the bad inventory. They start saying, you have a victim mindset. Your inventory is not stale. You're stale. They actually say that out loud with their, with their mouths on camera. Your inventory is not bad. You're just bad at selling it. And that is just so classic. That is exactly how you get people to rely on the company and stay. Because it could never, ever, ever be the ownership or the management or the company. It is your fault. And the only thing that can help you is staying in the company. They break you and then they tell you that the only way that you can get better is if you stay. And that makes me want to throw up for so many reasons. So LuLaRoe starts to get into some hot water because people have so much inventory and they're required to keep buying it. And it is horrible quality. It's stinky. It's moldy. It's wet. It's also ugly. And they had to change their the way their bonus system works. So you no longer got bonuses based on how much people were ordering. You only got bonuses based on how much people were selling. So people's bonus checks were going from thousands upon thousands to, I think one girl said she went from $8,000 a month to $600 a month. That's quite a pay cut, quite a pay cut. So not only did they change their bonus program, but they also started offering like a buyback program, a full refund for anything that you didn't sell, which means they were way too confident in these leggings. They were way too confident in how much people wanted to keep them and how much they were selling because you have to really believe in your product to offer a 100% refund guarantee. And that I, I genuinely think that they thought that it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Like they're not going to have to buy back that much. People are selling these leggings like crazy, but they weren't. And this must have been the first time that they saw that because they paid over $100 million in refunds. And at this point, a lot of people left because they weren't making their bonuses in the normal way. And a lot of people joined because then they had the opportunity to get refunds if they didn't sell their product. And then once they had all those new people signed up, they changed the buyback. They changed it. They said, we're actually not doing 100% refunds anymore. Never mind. This is where I have a hard time with people who are like, well, I really like Mark and Deanne and I knew them and I worked for them and it was great. That's, that's fine. But when you see how many people were so, so, so hurt by LuLaRoe and everything that they did, I mean, people's houses were foreclosed on. People were, are, are and were in tens of thousands of dollars of debt because they guaranteed them something that they didn't follow through with. Something that I think is really interesting that I learned about uh, like a year ago, and I will talk about it to anyone who will listen. I was listening to a podcast called Time Suck. It's this comedian. His name's Dan Cummins, and he does all these different deep dives on just a million different topics. And I was listening to one that he did about the Nexium sex cult. And he talked about something that just has been stuck in my mind. And I, and I think about it all the time. I think it's so interesting. And he, he called it the backfire phenomenon. Um, it can also be called like confirmation bias or all these other things. But the way I understand it, and hopefully this makes sense, but basically cults, pyramid schemes, a whole bunch of, you know, organizations like that fill you with the thought that anybody who tries to tell you that you're not doing the right thing or that you are 
um, being taken advantage of or that this isn't a smart business move. Anybody who says that is wrong. And the reason that they're wrong is because they don't want you to succeed or they're jealous or they, you know, you have all the information and you have the truth and you know everything and they're going to attack you simply because you have the truth. And the reason this works is because then when somebody presents somebody with factual evidence, if I go up to somebody who works for LuLaRoe and I say, look at this, 90% of people who sign up don't make a dime. They are able to say, oh, I was told about you. I was told that people were going to try and bring me down. And it actually confirms what they were thinking before. So it, it backfires. That's where the backfire comes in because you can present somebody with factual evidence and say, look at this look, this is a bad idea. This is not something that you should be doing. And it will confirm that they should be doing it. And it happens all the time in a million different ways. And it's horrifying. And it's horrifying because it, again, this doesn't only happen to dumb people. This doesn't only happen to people who don't understand anything. It happens to really smart people. And it's just, it's so upsetting. So, they start kind of distracting everybody from all the problems that are going on at LuLaRoe and they put on all the bells and whistles. They, they hire Katy Perry. They hire all of these event coordinators and big prizes and cruises and just kind of putting a curtain over everything and saying, look how amazing LuLaRoe is. And this is the point in the documentary where we get into the depositions and the lawsuits. And a lot of the, the depositions are filmed. We have a lot of video evidence. And one of the, the video evidences one of the videos in evidence, I don't know, is their son, Mark and Deanne's son, Jordan. He's talking on a training, a company-wide training that is obviously being recorded. And he says, let's get away from being a pyramid scheme. He says that. And they play that, you know, for Mark and Deanne. And Mark says, well, we're not a pyramid scheme. And Jordan, you know, isn't in trouble for saying that. He's saying that we, we aren't a pyramid scheme because every dollar made for, in this company is by people selling product. But it's not from selling product to customers. It's from their employees hiring new employees that have to buy wholesale product in order to be hired. That's how people are making money. It is not by consumers. And again, people were saying to me, well, they didn't know they were getting into this situation. They didn't know that they were being given an interview that was going to be misconstrued. But they are clearly being asked hot topic questions and they're answering them so poorly. They had to have known that this was going to be put on put on the documentary. So here's something that Mark said. He said, it's not meant to be misleading. It's meant to inspire. And if you're misled by it, that's on you. That is a direct quote that is filmed for the documentary. That was not edited. That is something that he said. If you're misled by it, that's on you. And that's what people who are in charge of corporations like these and cults and other things, that is how they get you to stay by telling you that if you have done, that if anything has gone wrong, it is your fault. Can you imagine like, say you go to a foreign country and you want to do like a day trip. You want to take a tour of like the the English countryside. You get on a bus with an English tour guide and then you end up in the middle of nowhere. And he says, that's your fault. (laughs) If you're misled, that is your fault. Uh, Why didn't you know where you were going? Uh, Why didn't you understand the risks that you took when you got on this bus with me? Yeah, I promise to lead you in the right direction. I promise to take you on this tour. But the fact that you're lost, mm, sounds like that's on you. Can you imagine how stupid that would be? That's basically what Mark is saying. Another person that kind of makes an appearance throughout the documentary is a is an active LuLaRoe seller. And she says something that I think is interesting. She says, if LuLaRoe is being investigated, then I think all direct sales companies should be investigated. And you know what? You're absolutely right. They should. Why not? Why not? If they're not doing anything dishonest, why can't they all be investigated? Don't you think we'd have a lot less pyramid schemes and a lot more successful MLMs if people would just be honest about what's going on and be investigated? I don't think that's such a bad idea. So then they they go over all of the, you know, settlements that they went through and the ongoing lawsuits and how LuLaRoe has changed. They basically slashed their onboarding price by like 90%. They're still going. I'm sure they're still in the middle of dozens of lawsuits I, and I want to end with this this amazing quote from this girl on the documentary. And I feel like it kind of sums up exactly how I feel about all of it. She says, the women that are fueling LuLaRoe are the women across America that run PTAs. They get people to the polls and they are incredibly effective politically. They're well connected in their communities and they're connected to each other. They are one of the most potent and effective 
but completely under-recognized sources of power. The whole concept of the documentary is that women can come together to call out wrongdoing. They can do that. In fact, it is one of the most powerful sources that could ever call out wrongdoing. And it's kind of why I feel so drawn to talk about this because I feel like the more that women can talk and the more they can say and the more that they can speak up, the more things change. And I don't say that in like a fake inspirational way. Like I don't, I'm not trying to bullshit anybody. I just, I do think that it is a really powerful group of people, like young, driven mothers. Are you kidding me? They would get anything done. You guys know how I feel. I think they should be in charge of everything. So I think it's important to talk about these these companies that have preyed on women for so long and have gotten basically no consequences. And now that women are starting to come out of the woodwork and starting to band together, how they can be a force for things like better pay, less patriarchy, uh, better benefits, more childcare. And I think that's really important. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite, my favorite qualities of being a woman is just being around women <laughs> and learning from them. And I think it took a lot of strength for a lot of these women to come forward and talk about their experiences with LuLaRoe. I think it's impressive anytime any woman does that. I hope to be that type of woman. I'm, I'm working on it. It's hard. It's really hard to speak up about things like that. So I'm glad I have, I have uh, some examples in the women of LuLaRoe the ex-women of LuLaRoe. So if you haven't seen it, again, it is called Lula Rich. It's on Amazon Prime. It's incredible. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Let me know your love hates. And let me know what you guys think of doing these, these episodes that are more deep dives or kind of recaps of documentaries or, you know, pop culture or whatever it might be. And, oh, you know what I'm going to say. If you could go subscribe, rate, and review, I would love you forever. And I will talk to you guys next week. Love you so much. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you. So please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind the scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week.